0: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Edgar and our worship team. Don't you appreciate our musicians in the church? I, I, I tell you what, you're uh, really playing tricks on me as soon as I think I know where all the talent is and you go and bring up another team and I got to remember all that crew too. Uh, I hope you haven't gotten used to Grace Point to the point that you don't know how blessed we are I'm still reveling in how blessed we are what God has been doing in our midst decade upon decade I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. We'll be there in just a minute We're continuing in week three of our series. Lord change my attitude before it's too late Now if you're just joining us and you've missed the first two or you missed one of those uh, our thesis the whole point of this study is driving home that a lifestyle of grumbling leads to a life in the wilderness. Now, that's not just my idea. That's not just some of the curriculum writer's idea. That is right in God's word that a lifestyle of grumbling will lead to a life in the wilderness. We're looking at replacing a covetous attitude with an attitude of contentment. As you're turning to Numbers chapter 11, I want you to picture in your mind with me Imagine with me that you are uh, on an ocean liner and that ship has just run against an iceberg and it breaks up and now it's starting to sink and you find yourself in the ocean and there's debris all around you and some people are hanging onto debris and some people are treading water and you don't know how long you're going to make it. There's some people around you that are starting to go down under the water and they're drowning in your midst and... You're doing everything you can to stay up on top, and and you're there, and you're there, and your friends are there, and I'm there with you. And I just want you to imagine in that moment, if I called out for your attention and I said, hey, hey, everybody, stop. But before we, we look for rescue or anything, I just want to give a little speech about how I feel real convicted. I just think there's too much water on this planet I want you to listen to me because I just really don't think that we need all this water around us. You'd have to think, what? We're drowning in a sea of water and you want to talk about water and how there's too much of this? That's just a silly little illustration of how I feel standing up here talking tonight about coveting in the midst of living in America. I just want to Share with you right up front that I feel like as Americans we are drowning in a sea of covetousness So much so that it's hard for us to comprehend how much it affects our life As we look at this second wilderness attitude the first one was complaining this one We're looking at the attitude of coveting how we grumble and complain and we grumble and we covet it leads To a life in the wilderness What is coveting or covetousness Covetousness it it can be a number of different things one. It could be wanting the wrong things You know if if you want something and you really want it bad enough and it's it's not something you should have you're you're coveting I, I want that I shouldn't have it, but I really really want it And that's true That is coveting and and that's an attitude that can lead to wilderness living but I would suggest tonight that probably most of us, that's not the area of coveting that we struggle with. Another type is covetousness is wanting right things, but for the wrong reasons. It's not just wanting the wrong things, but it's wanting the right things for the wrong reasons. For example, the Bible says that if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good thing. But if I want to be an elder, so you'll be impressed by me. That's not a good thing. If I want to be an elder so I can have control and power, that's, that's not a good thing. If I want to be an elder so I can fix my dumb church, I don't think my attitude's really right in that. I can want the right things for the wrong reasons and I will be in danger of the sin of coveting. Coveting is also wanting the right things at the wrong time. Just like a young couple that would walk into my office and they want to get married and I'm going to do some premarital counseling with them. And, and they're all just star gazing in their eyes and they're just sitting so close together that they can't get close enough and their arms are locked. And they finish each other's sentences. You've seen people like that. They're just so in love. And and they would just say to me, you know, Pastor Brady, uh, this is such a right thing. And and uh, the guy would say, you know, uh, we are so committed to each other. We are all In and I can just hear her chiming in and saying, you know, we're going to be married in three months and and it's almost right around the corner And we've told God that that we we're in we're committing to each other for life And because we told God that and we we love each other so much We've decided that we're going to go ahead and and start to be intimate with each other. We're going to sleep together Would this be right? No, absolutely not It's not that what they're wanting is wrong If they are being brought together and this is the right thing and they're engaged, it's the right thing to have that desire is right, but it's at the wrong time. When we covet, sometimes we covet the wrong thing. Sometimes we covet the right thing with wrong reasons or wrong motives. Other times we covet the right things at the wrong time. Coveting is also wanting right things, but in the wrong amount. This is one we don't like to talk about too much. This is one where we say, "Well, I'm just going to get just going to get a Nazarene pass on this." I mean, it's not so wrong for me to have this, is it? Well, well no. But how much of that do you really need? I mean, it's it's not so wrong for me to experience this, is it? No. But but how many experiences do you really need before you just live for that experience? Numbers chapter eleven is divided into a series of acts just kind of like in a play you'll have a couple of acts and then you'll have an intermission and then another act and this chapter is the same way we're going to look at these acts in this play or this real life story in numbers chapter 11 and then there's some portions of scripture that is like an intermission and it's important but for sake of our time i'm going to let you read that on your own later we're going to skip ahead to the next act of what's happening act number one in numbers chapter 11 we see yielding to a covetousness and why god hates it when we yield to an attitude of Covetousness and then we see why god hates it. That's what's happening here. Number one Write this in covetousness becomes sin when you yield to it Covetousness becomes sin when you yield to it Look at chapter 11 verse 4 The rabble with them began to crave other food and again the Israelites started wailing and said if we only had meat to eat Now this rabble in some of your translations. What does it say there someone have a different translation? It says what? Some of them would say mixed multitude It's it's a mixed multitude and this is not talking about interracial marriage It's talking about interfaith marriage. It's talking about interfaith Twining together and, and some things begin to happen when they began to mix with people who did not believe like them and didn't have the faith, there was a craving that started to come up. In fact, the Hebrew here talks about a craving for craving. I I really want to, to really want it. I'm just hungry for hunger's sake. Now, this... Yielding I don't know a better way to describe this than than this kitty. Would you help me? Stand up You don't know about this, but i'm gonna have you help me It's just like you have a collision of two cars and you've got to you're gonna to have to come out here This isn't gonna work over here now 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 kitty i'm gonna be the car of righteousness I'm gonna let you be the car of sin. Okay, oh, yeah, isn't that good But I don't know how else to describe this if if kitty and I are going down the same path and, and she's walking me Come towards me if if something doesn't happen, there's gonna be a collision so usually what happens with cars, one of us begins to yield and moves out of the way. When we see this sin of coveting, it's when we yield, we allow sin to have the right-of-way. Now, thanks, Kitty, that's good, and I should have let you be the car of righteousness. You know, it's not that we have these desires, these temptations, that's the problem. It's important that you hear me on this. I believe when we teach on this sometimes, we we make good, hungry Christians feel unnecessary guilt. And the enemy gets on your shoulder and says, if you're a good Christian like Pastor Brady was talking about, you'd never have this thought into your mind. You'd never have this desire pop up over here. Hey, friend, it's not that you'll never have a temptation. It's that you don't yield to that temptation. You don't yield to that thought. They gave way, they yielded to their temptations, to that desire. Here's the next thing that happens when we begin to yield. When we dwell on our desires, write that in. When we dwell on our desires, yielding is only a matter of time. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 5, listen to this. The rabble with them began to crave other foods. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If we only had meat to eat, verse 5, we remember the fish that we ate in egypt it was no cost the cucumbers were so good the melons were so good the onions the garlic oh i can just taste them it was so good they began to dwell on the past they wanted it so bad they began to make lists they began to chart it out they had small groups where they'd get together and they'd brainstorm just about do you remember how good it was and we want it so bad so bad they dwell and dwell and dwell upon those things you know what, that's going to lead to a problem. If we want the wilderness attitude of coveting out of our life, we cannot dwell upon these things that are not good for us. When they would dwell on these desires, something happened. It inflated the thing that they were dwelling on. This free fish became better than what it really was. These cucumbers, these melons were so amazing. It was inflated because they dwelled on it over and over. Hey, just remind me. The the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, what were they? They were slaves. I mean, do you catch this? The cucumbers were so good in prison. The melons were so good when we had no freedom. Freedom. I mean, the wilderness did weird things to their mind. And and when you begin to dwell on it over and over, it inflates it. It changes the perspective. It gets you all messed up. When we begin to covet those things, it leads us to a life in the wilderness. You say, well, what's the big deal? I'm just thinking about it. I'm just fantasizing about it. I'm not having it. I'm not really doing that thing. You see... When we desire on it, over and over and dwell on it, you're going to end up yielding to it. Number three, the root of all covetousness is a rejection of God's sufficiency. It's a rejection of God's sufficiency. Look at Numbers 11, verse 6. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. How do you think they said it? I just, just imagine with you. Just say it. However, you think they said it. We can't see anything but this manna. How do you think they said it? Let me hear you. Manna. Well, I, I really don't think they said it like that. No, they just, they're, they're aggravated. I they haven't seen anything but this manna. This nasty manna. That's it. Someone over there said manna. I, I think that's it's just what they said. And, and we say it now, and we kind of laugh and we go, "Well, who talks like that?" When you're so aggravated and you can't see anything but this, you begin to sound comical you say well it, what, why are you so aggravated about that now now think about this verse six again but now we have lost our appetite i can't even eat we never seen anything but this manna well where did the manna come from where did it come from it came from came from heaven and, and who gave it to him god god gave it to him so in essence they're saying god what you provided is not enough what you've given me is not enough. I need something more. So coveting, when I want that so bad, that thing I shouldn't have, that thing that could be the right thing, but I want it for the wrong reasons, that thing that is not necessarily wrong, but it's the wrong time, that thing that's not necessarily wrong, but the amount of it that I'm desiring is not right. When I, when I covet that so much, I'm rejecting God's sufficiency. Now, this root of Covetousness is basically saying, I don't really want just God in his sufficiency. I mean, if we just strip it down to what it really is, it's saying, God, I want you in my sufficiency. Because when we think about coveting, I think in the church we've we've learned this somewhere in Sunday school or in caravans or or VBS or something that we we think about coveting is it's, it's wanting somebody else's wife or or I want somebody else's phone so bad I don't want them to have that phone and, and and that's a part of coveting but you know what coveting is when you say oh I want you to have all those things but God I better get that God I want you but I need this in my life or else. I'm not good. If you don't give me you and this, God and blank, I'm not happy. That's coveting. When God's sufficiency is not enough, we're moving in that direction. It's the attitude that says, I want God and the perfect spouse. That's what I need. I'm not going to be happy until I have the spouse that I want. I'm going to push this. I'm going to drive this. I'm going to pound this until I make him into the husband that I want him to be or I drive him from the premise. How many know that's not going to be a very good plan to try to live out? I mean, don't misunderstand me. It's it's a great thing to have a godly spouse. But if you say, God, I cannot be happy unless I have you and the spouse that I want, friend, you won't be happy. You won't be happy because you are trying to say god you are not enough I have to have you and my version of a good spouse It's the attitude that says god, you're not enough for me I I want you. Yes, I seek you god But i'm going to have a successful career I I have to have a successful career. I'm going to climb that ladder People are going to remember me. They're going to say that nobody ever did it like he did I am going to get there at any cost. Friend, you may get there, and it will be at a great cost. God, I want you and the house of my dreams. God, I want you and the money for the good life. God, I want you and my self-importance. God, I want you and that secret sin. I'm not going to let go of that thing. That's my private area. That, that, that's me. No one else needs to know about that. God, you are not enough for me. God, you are one file in my filing cabinet, and I want you there. But let's be honest. I mean, who's going to take care of what I want? (laughs) I mean, God helps those who help themselves, right? And so I love you, God, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to provide for what I need. This is an attitude that says, God, you're not enough for me. And that's why this attitude is so serious. Now, we're going to skip over to the second act in, 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 I was going to say Hebrews. We're not in Hebrews 11. We're in Numbers 11. Hebrews 11 is another good place. That's for another night. In Numbers 11, look down at verse 18. We're going to see how this talks about this act, this next section of the story could be entitled, A Gift from God You Don't Want. It's something that God can give to you that you don't really want. Look at verse 18 of chapter 11. Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, I love this, and you will eat it. That's like the parent who says, you're going to have fun right now. Start having fun. I mean, God's saying, I heard you. Did you think I couldn't hear you whine and complain about the manna? The manna, it's just manna. I can't even see it anymore. It's just manna. Well, I'm going to give you what you want. You think that is better than me? You think that I'm not enough for you? Fine. I'm just going to give it to you. And you will eat it. You're going to take it. You're going to have it. Friends, Beware of begging God for non-essentials write that in beware of begging God for non-essentials You know what happens when you beg God for a non-essential God just may give it to you He just may give you the very thing that you're whining about and you may end up regretting that later This is one of the things I love about God's word when God's word talks about Another passage, Psalm 106, verse 15, is talking specifically about this passage in Numbers 11. Here's what it says. So he, God, gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. Another translation says, he sent leanness into their souls. You think that that is better than me? You go ahead and have it. Now, now look what Numbers 11, 19 through 20 says. You will not eat it just for one day, or for two days, or five, or ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Oh man, if you never thought Scripture had humor in it, this is amazing. You're going to have so much meat, it's going to pour out your nose and you're going to end up hating it. Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And you have wailed before Him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why did we ever follow God when He delivered us out of that slavery? We're better off on our own. We want God, but we want our own self-sufficiency. See, if you're a covetous person, enough is never enough. If you're asking yourself, well, you know, this is kind of good, and 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 I, I don't I don't mind coming on Sunday night. Pastor Brady kind of says the scripture funny, and I want to hear it kind of weird, and this is good, but. But I don't know if I really have an issue with coveting. Here's how you know. Can you ever say I've had enough? If you're struggling with coveting, enough is never enough. No matter what you have, no matter where you've been, you always have to have more. Now look at what happens here. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove the quail from the sea. It scattered them up. Two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. Verse 32, all that day and night and all the next day. How long is that? All day, all night, next day, 36 hours. The people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered, oh, this cracks me up. No one gathered less than ten homers. No. So, So the guy who was the least into this. The one who's like, I so don't want to gather quail. I'm a vegetarian. I don't even want this stuff. I like the man. The guy who was least into this, he gathered ten homers. That's 60 bushels. And Can you imagine, wives, that your husband comes home and he's got 20 bushels of quail stacked up in the kitchen. And you walk in and you go, what is this? He goes, it's amazing. And I got 40 more bushels on the porch there's just so much no one gathered less than than 10 homers which is 60 bushels now think about that that would take a long time to clean and prepare now i guess you could have a whole team of people and your whole family could work on it and clean it and prepare it and you could stick it in the freezer but 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 remind me again how many freezers did the children of israel have at that time none this stuff had to reek after a few days. This was 30 days of this stuff. The very thing that they couldn't live without, now they are swimming in it. And it literally reeks and it's coming out their nostrils. Manna was not enough. Now birds, meat, that's not going to be enough either. If you're a covetous person, you will spend your life in the wilderness. Numbers 11, 32 and 33. Look at verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and He struck them with a severe plague. God said, you will live in suffering in the wilderness for this attitude. Now before we find a remedy to this, we need to just stop right now. I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I a covetous person? Am I dealing with coveting? Do I have an attitude that, that wants the wrong thing? Do I have an attitude that wants the right thing at the, for the wrong reasons, or the right thing at the wrong time, or the right thing in the wrong amount? Is that what I'm struggling with? Because you may be in the wilderness, and it may be because of this very attitude. Probably a better question is, are you willing to Repent. You guys know just as well as I do, repenting is not just being sorry. It's not just asking for forgiveness, but I'm willing to go the other direction. If we are, then there is hope for us. Now, just like complaining, you can't stop complaining. You have to displace it with thankfulness. You can't stop coveting. You have to displace it with being content. Now, now turn your Bibles to the right. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. We're done with Numbers 11 for tonight. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with great, excuse me, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Timothy 6, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plague people into ruin and destruction. Chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the opposite of covetousness, the opposite of coveting, is contentment, to be content. You will never be free from coveting until you learn to displace it with being content. Now, a New Testament definition by principles about contentment would be this. Write this in. Satisfaction in God's sufficient provisions. Sufficient provisions. Satisfaction in God's sufficient provisions to rest in what one has And seek nothing more. Basically saying, God, you are enough. That's what contentment means. It's settled. It's the sense of, it's adequate. We don't hear that too often, do we? I have enough. I I don't know that I heard anybody say that this week. I've I've had enough. I have enough. In fact, I want you to say that with me right now. Just, Just write your head and say, I have enough. Let's try it again. I have enough. Now, I want you to, to honestly think about that and reflect in your heart. I want you to whisper that to yourself right now. Not yet, just a second. I want you to think about your life. I want you to whisper to yourself. Ready? One, two, three. I have enough. And do you believe that in your heart? That I have enough. God, I have enough. You have blessed me with enough already. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Now the word godliness here means piety or like God. And Scripture is pairing these two together. Being like God with being content. They are are fused together. Now in the context of this passage, Paul was talking about false teachers. And he was condemning those who tried to turn ministry into a business. Those who tried to package and sell the gospel. And he says, guys, there's a better way. Don't do that. Don't do that. Godliness plus contentment. That's great gain. Now notice the text It doesn't condemn, it's not saying it's bad to want to have gain. That's not what the scripture is saying. This is very important. Don't miss this. He's not saying wanting to gain is wrong. There's something deep inside all of us that wants to gain, that wants to improve, that wants to succeed. If that's in you, you haven't missed it. Here's the formula. If you want to gain, if you want to improve, if you want to do better, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. That's the formula that God has given to us. Now, some people say, but that's so narrow. I mean, there's like more than one way to skin a cat. So if that's what makes you happy, then you go ahead and do that. But, but I found another way where I'm going to have great gain. Friend, it won't work. There's one formula. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. There, there's one way. That's so narrow-minded. You know, it, it blows me away that w- when we look at the principles that God tells us how to live our life, we feel like it's so narrow-minded. But yet there's so many other things in, in this physical world that we accept as absolute truth. I mean, how many gases could you breathe and be healthy? I and mean, just think about it. Well, I, I think I want to breathe just, just only helium today. How, how long could you do that and still be healthy? It's not going to work. Well, it may not work for you. but I want. To, well, I'm just going to bring, breathe hydrogen today. No, it's, it's oxygen. There's just there's just one way that our lungs are meant to function. It's the same thing in math. Two plus two equals. Well, tonight, let's just agree. Four, five, six, maybe seven. No, it's four. Well, but that's so narrow. What? I'm sorry. That's that's the fact. That's what it is. I'm sorry you don't like it, but that, that's how it is. You know, it, it amazes me that we accept these absolute truths from our math teachers, from our science teachers. But when it comes to the one who created those formulas in math, who created that law in science, we, when he tells us how to live our life, we go, well, but that's one way. I mean, it, it just would be as if I took this, this, this goblet and I dropped it. If I just drop it, what, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to break, but you got to of me. But before it breaks, what, what's going to happen? Is going to fall, and then it'll break. Well, but I don't know if I really believe in gravity. Friend, I don't care what you believe. If I, if I let go of this, it's going to fall, and then it will break. God says there is one way to have to have great gain, to have happiness. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Now, I want to... Hammer this a little bit longer. You say, I got it. No, we need to get it more. i got to hammer this nail till you're sick of me hammering this nail. You say, well, we're already there. Well, not everybody's there yet. I want to give some faulty formulas that we try to twist and, and shift this into something else. Because the only way we're going to stop coveting is if we can start to be content. But godliness plus contentment equals great gain. But we say, good idea, God. Close, but I'm going to add some things. Here's, here's one faulty formula. Godliness plus prosperity equals great gain. This doesn't work. Of course, this is everywhere in our current day. The health and wealth gospel is everywhere. And friends, it is false. They teach godliness plus prosperity is great gain. They teach that God wants every person to be healthy and wealthy all of the time. The only problem with that is the Bible does not teach that. You tell that to the Apostle Paul. You tell that to Stephen. They they must have got something wrong. Friend, godliness plus prosperity does not lead to great gain. People buy this because they want it to be true. Here's another false formula. Godliness plus poverty equals great gain. Then we swing to the other spectrum. Well, I'm not about all the wealth things. and You know, I'm so spiritual because I, I don't even have two dimes to rub together. So I I've got to be holy. Friend, scripture doesn't teach that either. You can look at church history and you can see people who got trapped in the in the hamster wheel of of just trying to get rid of every earthly good and and, and that's fine. You're not ungodly if you don't have wealth. But just because you're poor doesn't mean that you have God. Godly plus poverty, that does not equal great gain. Here's another faulty formula. Godliness plus power. Equals great gain It's the person who says well i've never been one, one who's real big on money or stuff But you get close enough to them. They're a control freak They don't have to have a lot of money. They don't have to have a lot of things, but they got to have their say They they, they got to Prove that they have something in my mind comes a stereotypical, you know security guard at the mall Now if you're a mall security guard i'm not talking about you but I'm talking about the few that i've met They don't have a lot of real authority, but I tell you what, they want you to know that they are in charge. They love being in charge, though they don't carry a gun. I think they're more dangerous than the ones who do. It's that attitude that godliness plus my power, my way, my say, gives me great gain. That's faulty as well. Fourth, this is one that's hard for us. You may not like this. So I won't say it. Let's just skip on No, we need it godliness Plus family harmony Equals great gain friend. That's false This is so common in the church today friend. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a healthy family There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good family, but godliness plus family harmony. That does not equal great gain friend there is no perfect family Raising kids, having a healthy marriage, it's not like baking cookies. You do these four things and they come out perfect every time. If you think it's that way, just hang on, something's coming and it's going to prove to you that that's not how it works. Don't put all your eggs in the basket of, God, I love you, I depend on you, but my family and how perfect and how much harmony we can have, that's where I I rest in that. You will miss what God has for you. No, don't miss me. Don't miss the point. We want to have God-honoring families. We want to have God-dependent families. Of course we do. But godliness plus family harmony, that's not what brings great gain. Godliness plus contentment. If you try to find happiness in loving God, but having all your ducks in a row with your family, pretty soon you'll start to figure out what happens if someone in the family doesn't cooperate. Well, God, you're not enough. What happens if someone exercises their free will and they start to go rogue in the family? Well, God, you're not enough. We want God-dependent families. But the only recipe, the only formula for success is godliness plus contentment. The final one I want to share with you is godliness plus ministry success equals great gain. This is false as well. Here's one that I've had to learn many years ago and I have to be reminded of frequently godliness plus a certain amount of fruitfulness That's what I live for God. I love you and I love to see the fruit of my life I want to see the evidence of how good of a Christian I am That's not what scripture teaches I've had so many people who feel that They love God and they love their calling that they feel like God has called them to as much or more than they do God himself the only problem is, friend, what if God doesn't desire to do those same dreams and ministry or fruitfulness in your life that you've conjured up in your head? Is that you or is it God? If that ministry dream or success would happen, does that glorify you or does it glorify God? What if God wants to do that through somebody next to you and not you? How do you feel about that? Is, is that ministry, is that fruitfulness coming out of you, is that something that is prideful in you? Or is it to honor God? There's a lot of people who would say, God, I love you, but if I could just have that ministry position, then I'd really be happy. God, I love you, and I'm going to serve you with my life. If I could just get into that organization, if I could just lead that organization, I'd finally be happy. God, if I could just have an influence on X number of people, then finally I could be worth something in my life. Godliness plus contentment is the only thing that will bring great gain. I love it that it doesn't say godliness plus contentment equals, eh, okay. It's great gain. When we learn to say that, God, you are enough, we have great gain. God says there's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed. There's nothing wrong with wanting to improve. There's nothing wrong with wanting to gain. In fact, have great gain. Go for it. How? Godliness plus contentment. Two key thoughts. You say, well, Pastor Brady, how do I stay focused on that? I I want to be content, but I find myself getting pushed back and forth, and my motives get skewed, and what kind of motives do I need? One, real fast, look to eternity. Verse 6 and 7 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's what we sing about. That's what we sing about today. I'm feeling mighty fine. Why? Because things are going well here? No. Because heaven is on my mind. Look to eternity. You will become content when you recognize that you were never intended to get too comfortable here. God never created you so you can feel absolutely, completely, 100% fulfilled in everything you've ever desired right here on earth. Now don't miss what i'm saying you can have joy you can have the joy of the lord It's amazing serving god here on earth. There's a lot of good things But he created you for something so much bigger and greater He wants you to be with him in all of eternity when you look to eternity contentment begins to rise up inside of you If you want contentment focus your thoughts on eternity Another motivation that can be helpful to you is let enough be enough verse 8 of chapter 6 in first timothy but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And some translations say food and covering. Now, notice, it doesn't say have food, three square meals a day, with a buffet of a lot of choices and a whole bunch of gas station candy. That's my favorite dessert right there, gas station candy. Oh, it's good. See, I don't know what gas station candy is. Oh, it's Mike and Ike's, it's Necco wafers, it's all those things. I have no idea why I'm telling you this right now, but it, it just I'm hungry thinking about it. But it, it doesn't say... All of every little whip stitch that you can hope for food manna water If I just have food to sustain my life I can be content. You say I don't know if I can just make it on bread and water. Yeah, you could Hey, could You know what and something better than that It wouldn't even have to affect your happiness in life Some of us if we could just wrap our brains around that it would free us up a lot if food and and covering or clothing now some climates your clothing's not enough You got to have shelter so so food and clothing and shelter now it, it doesn't say the home of your dreams It doesn't say to have matching shoes with every outfit. It's it's enough to sustain you now, now don't miss this If god has given you more than just bread and water If god has given you more than just enough clothes to keep you from from getting sick and enough shelter to keep you out Of the rain if he's giving you more than that Don't feel guilty Be thankful. In fact, tell God, God, that lunch I had today, I didn't need that. But thank you. I didn't have to have it. You can say, God, I didn't have to have this and you blessed me with it. Contentment comes out of that when you recognize enough is enough. And rapid fire. Three quick things that don't need a lot of teaching with it, but if we don't do it, We don't find the strength to carry this out. If you want contentment, you've got to look to eternity. You've got to let enough be enough. But, friends, you've got to seek it. You will not have contentment by accident. If you're struggling with coveting and you want to displace that, you can't stop a a bad wilderness attitude overnight. But you can change direction on that attitude overnight. and, And you're not going to say, I just feel content today. You're going to have to seek contentment. You're going to have to look for where God has blessed you and you say God I want to see how you've blessed me And that's going to help you when you say you know what? I didn't need all this stuff and you've been giving it to me, but after you seek it you need to say it You need to start telling yourself and everybody else around you I am blessed I am blessed I have a family way beyond what I deserve I have provision way beyond what I absolutely would have to have but Pastor Brady, you don't understand what I'm going through and I'm I'm facing this illness and I'm I'm facing this challenge. Friend, that would break my heart. But you don't have to have that. Because God never intended for you to stay on this earth forever. If He took you home to heaven right now, it's going to be better there. I can be content when I seek contentment in Him. God plus contentment equals great gain. You are enough, God. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to say it. And, And then after we say, God, I'm seeking it, After I say it, then settle it. And this is enough. We're going to end on this. My first of 12 conclusions tonight. We're going to end on this for real. Settle it. We get to a point when we break through in contentment. And then we step back and we say, well, God, you really helped me with my job. You broke through and... And man, I have so much trust in you that you provide for me financially, but we step over here in an area with our kids. Hello, God, this is kind of, settle it. If God was enough to provide for your finances, is He enough to provide for your kids or vice versa? It could be in one era of of your life. Well, God was so faithful back in the day. He did so much for me that, well, what happened? Did God die? Did you stop trusting Him? He's still just as faithful. Settle it. I can be content from here on out. If God never does another thing for me, guess what? His salvation He's offered to me is good enough that i got enough to praise Him for the rest of my life. You say, well, Pastor Brady, you've been hitting the same point for the last 20 minutes. Well, when I'm convinced you got it, I'll stop. No. I appreciate your attention. You've been pressing in. For you to come week in and week out, it tells me that you want to have an attitude that is pleasing to God. You want promised land living in your life. You want to get rid of the wilderness attitudes and welcome into God honoring attitudes in your life. The cool thing is, the however many hundred of people are in this room, when we allow God to sanctify, set apart for His holy use our attitudes, it will not just affect you. It will not just affect this church. It will not just affect Fort Wayne. It can affect the entire globe. Well, that sounds very ministerially speaking. Twelve guys got to the point where they said, Jesus, we don't understand you, but you are enough. I'm going to live as if you are enough and you and I are here today because of them. I want you to imagine with me, what would it look like if just us, everybody else who chose not to come on Sunday night, we love them, but they missed out. If they had rotten, stinking, horrible, nasty attitudes, do you think we'd have enough God-honoring attitudes to displace anything that would be happening? I promise you, if there was total obedience with just us to say, God, get rid of complaining, get rid of covetous attitudes, and the three other ones we're going to talk about later, it would radically transform you, your family, your job, your neighborhood, your church, your city, and the world around you. Let's pray together and ask God to help us to believe that truth that we just heard father